Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Ross Burns for a conversation about colonnaded streets in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Dr. Burns is an Australian scholar. He serves as an associate member at the University of Oxford that is investigating what happened to temples at the end of antiquity with the coming of Christianity. He is also adjunct at Macquarie University based in Australia. He's written many publications over his career, including a couple books as examples. Monuments of Syria, which was published by I.B. Taurus, and Origins of the Colonnaded Streets in the Cities of the Roman East, which was published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to the call, Ross. Thanks, Andrew, for the invitation. All right, so to start with a, uh, a, a broad and general question, Ross, what is a colonnade? Well, a colonnade is a row of columns, um, usually forming uh, the portico, often forming the portico of a building. But in, in the phenomenon I'm talking about, it's a continuous colonnade running along a street uh, which sort of jumps side streets to just continue with the same visual perspective. Okay, and what are um, what are the main components and materials that comprise of a, a colonnade? Well, lots of stone, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, preferably the pillars or the, the columns should be. Uh, uh, monoliths, in other words, they're, they're just one piece of stone, but often they can be broken up into discs, which uh, which can be put together on the on the site. Um, then on top of that, you have a capital, uh, which supports the point at which the column meets the architrave above, um, and and then you may have various other arrangements behind or below that that sort of essential element which mm-hmm. um, which form the footpath or which form the roof over the colonnade. Okay, and this probably came up a bit in that response, but what what were the purpose or purposes of colonnades? Well, in the form which we see them in the Eastern Roman Empire, they, they formed a protective uh, roof over the sidewalks of, uh, of, of cities, uh, giving it a visual unity as you looked along the street, mm. but also providing protection to the, uh, to the passers-by, uh, namely from uh, the sun or from, from rain. Okay, so, and we'll get, we'll get obviously to the, to more to the streets here in a, in a moment. Uh, I want to create sufficient um, background. So, uh, when, when is when's the first known use of colonnades to your knowledge in um in in the roman empire okay uh that's that's the sort of an essential question that i try to address in the in the book um because we have only very patchy evidence for the first 150 years and then suddenly by the second century a.d by which stage the roman empire has been installed in the East for over 150 years, it suddenly bursts forth, forth um, in the fully realised form, which is that uh, the, the colonnading is continuous, that it runs right across the city, um, and that it allows for 
shops usually on either side, which give a further purpose to the to the colonnade. Okay, when you say this, when you say the city, um, it, it, are you, do you mean Rome or somewhere else? Ah, well, that's a very interesting question, <laughs> Andrew. But it's it's funny, but you don't have them in Rome until much later. Okay, um, and that's after the cutoff period from from my study, which was broadly one fifty AD. Um, but uh, you know, it's um, you find them all around the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. In other words, in modern day Turkey, Syria. Uh, historical Palestine and to some extent in Egypt. But the critical cities for trying to gauge what's going on are Antioch, which is mm. nowadays in modern South, uh, South Turkey, Southeastern Turkey, and Alexandria, which of course is the second major city in, in Egypt. Okay, so I want to I clarify this then, Ross. Um, did did the, the colonnades show up um, in the east prior or after they would have shown up in a place like 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 Rome, like the city of Rome? No, this is the intriguing thing, which mm -hmm. this is the essential challenge of the first part of the book, which is to find, was there any evidence of this continuous colonnade being in Rome? The answer is no. Mm. Um, there was, it was used to define forums or open spaces like what they called uh, porticus, um, but uh, it wasn't used in the street. The street was sort of regarded really as a bit of a rubbish dump and people just sort of made their way along the street as best they could, but there wasn't the same practice of continuous paving and colonnading as you'd find um, for those first 150 years in, in the provinces of the East. Okay, and you said your your most of your research went to one one fifty C E A D, up up to that point. Well, I, kept, I kept on following the story if it was getting somewhere, okay, um, yeah. and in fact, you do find colonnades in Rome by the third century, um, but we don't have much physical evidence of them. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's not a uh, not a phenomenon which which was picked up in Rome until much later. Hmm. Um, the reason for that, I, that's, what, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, in in the in the conclusion to the book, I point out that you needed a critical mass of factors, and one of them, strangely, um, was you needed architects who were willing to sort of dabble in this kind of. Uh, uh, improvement to cities and the area where you've got the greatest concentration of architects was in the Eastern Roman Empire in what is now Western Turkey uh, and uh, and then it, it spread from there around the coast to to Syria and also most importantly eventually to to Alexandria um, do you have any theories or do you know why that might be why there might have been a higher concentration of architects in, in this period of time in the eastern um, provinces versus the, 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 the western or more principally in the where the principle of Rome would have would have been at the time in Rome? Uh, it was partly the wealth of the eastern cities which became wealthy immediately the Roman Empire sort of took, took, 
control in that part of the, the world. Um, but you'd always had a very strong tradition of architecture in Asia Minor spreading its influence to the West or to the South. Um, so I think it was a question of the skills, the skill base which had been developed in the Eastern Mediterranean, um, and then the wealth base which came once prosperity set in with the, what they call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace in the eastern provinces. Okay. Um, can you share more about um, the, uh, the colonnaded uh, streets then? Yeah. Uh, well, what, what, what was more in demand in the east was that uh, uh, protection from the weather was a greater factor because you had usually east, hotter climates. Um, and in some cases, you had cities which had particular problems which had to be addressed, like Antioch. Um, Antioch was the capital of Roman Syria um, from the start of the Roman mm. Empire's control in the first century BC. Um, but Antioch had a problem in its topography because it stood at the foot of two very high mountains, which sort of formed the southern fringe, the, the eastern fringe of the city. And also it was right alongside a very uh, vigorous and tempestuous river, the, the Orontes, which flowed in from, uh, from Syria to the south. So between them, these two, these two factors could do a lot of damage because controlling the rainfall and the flow from the river became a major factor, which, if it wasn't brought under control, would sweep away the paving and the buildings along the riverbank uh, in, a, in a flash flood. Okay, so in that case, one of the purposes was what, what you described, more uh, to do with the precipitation, um, yeah, not, and, not... and the provision of, of runoff. Uh, to get the water quickly out of the way, mm -hmm. uh, you needed... You had the advantage, you have many advantages in paving the street, providing proper underground um, uh, water control, underground takeoff um, and uh, and trying to get the water flowing down the sides of the mountains across the streets and the city and into the river as as soon as possible otherwise you've got a huge build-up and the torrents started to swirl and take away the the fabric of the actual buildings okay how um, frequently in your travels and, and studies in these different areas you mentioned using modern day terms Turkey Syria Egypt um, how how frequently did you come across that kind of um, construction? Well, in almost any city which had more than say twenty to fifty thousand inhabitants by our modern mm -hmm. means of calculation, mm -hmm. you'd have the money to do something radical and costly because it's very expensive to get the stone. In many cases, the stone could be obtained from local quarries, but um, uh, later on in the empire, um, you got a standardised system for the supply of building stone, um, which was in many cases imported from central Anatolia or central western Turkey, um, all from uh, upstream along the Nile. And this was supplied by boat to certain depots along the Mediterranean seaboard. Um, but that system was set up as a state as a state monopoly 
um, and it was costly to pay all the expenses of, of providing the stone and the transportation, which was quite complicated, as you would imagine. What's known about the coronation? So when you're looking at a place like, let's say, um, what would be the uh, the Anatolian Peninsula, then you're into the uh, in, into Antioch. Were these independent efforts, or was there some kind of broader uh, coordination in in building these that would have been centralized? Uh, that's an excellent question, Andrew. And mm. this is where I think a lot of the confusion develops, because often people have the assumption that all this was funded by the emperor and the state, the state uh, uh, fiscus. Um, as far as I can see, it was largely funded by the cities themselves. So mm. it was the prosperity of the city which drove their capacity to provide this, uh, this facility for their citizens. Um, the, there were some cases in which the Roman emperor might intervene uh, for example, post-disaster scenarios, you know, like the federal government in the United States sort of providing uh, an injection of cyclone relief. But mostly it was raised by the fiscal system in the, in the city and therefore depend upon taxes. Um, mm. The other occasion when you might get some imperial funding was when the emperor, em, emperor wanted to be particularly nice to that city. And that was the case, uh, particularly along the Mediterranean seaboard, uh, for the cities that had supported, for example, um, the uh, the emperor um, uh, at the end of the second century when there was a revolt by by a an official called Viscanius Niger. Um, so there could be an injection of, of imperial funds, um, and some emperors, particularly Hadrian seem to have interested themselves in supporting this kind of civic improvement because of the because of the the benefits it gave the the illustration it gave of the benefits of being in the roman empire uh, which is ironic because although this the the colonnaded axis was being funded by outside intervention it wasn't actually a roman pattern the pattern more was developed in the eastern provinces themselves. Okay, and I want to go back to that because I was I, I I want to ask um, if they changed at all in the different uh, regions. So so let's 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 get there. Let's get there in a, in a moment, Ross. I want to ask one one question just before we go there. Um, proconsuls, did, did they exist at this point in time, and what what was their involvement in in the construction and maintenance of these um, streeted uh, colonnaded streets? Well, because they are responsible to the emperor himself, uh, not so direct, although he might have tried to restrain some states that might have had rather extravagant um, uh, ambitions for their cities, um, which weren't matched by their capacity to raise funding. So that started to reflect in early part of the second century, when there is some correspondence indicating that the imperial authorities are saying, Hey, hey, you know, go easy. Are you able to support this in the longer term? Because a lot of these projects would take up to 150 years to be realized. For one thing, getting all the stone together was a very, very complicated process. Mm. So you've studied this substantially. Um, when, when, you, when, you, when you look back on it, 
and uh, please let 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 me know if you if you have to infer. But do you think that in most cases it, this was good use of resources for these um, municipalities or regions? It was the payoff there for what they would have spent in resources to build these streeted colonnades and colonnaded streets and the maintenance of them. Well, I mean, the only evidence for that is the fact that you, virtually every city of that size that I've mentioned, got around to starting these projects by the mid second, mid late second century. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they did it because they were looking at each other and saying, "Well, you know, uh, Aphrodisias has got one of these. We've got to get one too," you know, um, but. There, there was. They did also become revenue-raising adventures because you charge for the shops, or people had to buy the the permit for the shop. Um, you charge for the peddlers who would work under the uh, under the colonnades, um, and you provided an incentive for people to visit the city because it was more comfortable to do it if there was protection from uh, from the weather, and it also made cross-city traffic a lot easier. Hmm. Um, all the benefits you might get today from an expressway, you would get from the Colonnade Street. Okay. Okay. Um, did, was there names of any architects and any any um, really noteworthy architects in this era that you came across that uh, you'd like to mention? Uh, no, we don't have any records of that, um, and because they took so long. Uh, because they were usually went through the, the city council, um, a whole lot of people would have been involved. Um, but no, we don't know um, that so-and-so was the originator of the... Uh, we know that certain people advocated for them because we have some quite good re- written records of town council debates about that. But I wouldn't say that that person was the architect or even the uh, chief engineer. Okay, and a point of clarification: in this period of time, in some of these larger urban centers, did did uh, roads e- exist? Not not you know beyond dirt. Like, did, was there a surface on 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 roads by this by this point? Uh, usually, yes, because that was the whole point of the uh, the weather control f- mm. uh, aspect of the Colonnade Street, particularly because the road was a bit more sophisticated than. A normal paved road, you know, in the sense that it had uh, sub, you know, subterranean uh, drainage control, etc., and it sloped to take the water quickly off to the side and then through the conduits under the centre of the road. So it was reasonably sophisticated, um, but the usual pattern was that roads were only these streets were only paved uh, once a degree of prosperity had come in in the empire in say the first or second century AD. Um, but uh, we do have some streets which we know were never paved because the other option was simply to compact the ground, maybe put a layer of pebbles on top mm. uh, and then, uh, then provide that if the rainfall wasn't too high. For example, there is no evidence that the main colonnade street in Palmyra in Syria was was it paved? Okay, and uh, first century BCE, first century 
CE, when they're paving road, a road beyond pebbles, what are they, what's the material that they're using? They're using usually limestone. Right, okay. And that kind of stone you can normally obtain locally because limestone is pretty widely spread throughout the eastern provinces. Um, and it's quite durable. It, once it's exposed, it develops a hard outer skin and uh, it's, it's ideal for, uh, for paving a road. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, that's not a big cost. It's more the columns and the cost of providing the carved capitals above the columns, which, which would have been the big cost. Okay, okay. Um, how, how, how prevalent, is there a way to describe how prevalent um, colonnaded streets were in these, in these well, areas? Well, I'd use that population estimate that I gave you earlier, you know, twenty to 50,000. Um, mm. But it, even below that, you might get cities which would go for the expense, you know, be able to f- provide the expenditure. Um, and, uh, but virtually any city which we think on today's estimates would have been around that size had this phenomenon by the, by the end of the second century mm. or third century. Interesting. Yeah. So I would, I would call that prevalent then at that point yeah yeah okay i can't mean, think of any major city which didn't have one um, right unless it was very remote um and it mightn't be quite as uh, luxurious and uh expansive as the as the ones we find in the uh, particularly in the coastal areas um like uh the cities say of uh of beirut or latakia um which seem to have been very lavishly endowed with colonnades by the uh, by the end of the second second century. You've you've spoken a lot about the construction, and obviously that's important. The the utility behind them were any colonnaded streets also used to a large degree for artistic representation and or um, worship. Uh. No, because I mean uh, they connected places that might have had that that aspect, but uh, um, I don't think they were necessarily the reason for the, for building mm-hmm. the streets. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the colonnades were beautiful themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at today, the most striking, I think, of all the colonnaded streets is the the colonnaded axis at Upper Mayo in in Leontes Valley in, in central Syria where the street simply stretches. Even today, you can pick up the columns of the street for 1.8 kilometers. I mean, it's just an unbroken, mm. unbroken uh, a, a site, uh, site plan. Um, they might have had what you might call today street furniture, which is uh, sort of standalone columns with a statue on top or a, a, an archway which is ushering in a side street joining the main street, or even a four-way arch uh, which is joining two colonnaded cross streets. And the most, uh, one of the spectacular examples of that was in, uh, was in Palmyra where you had this enormous uh, four-way arch um, mm made of granite which was brought all the way from Aswan in Lower Egypt. So um, 
they're the main artistic features which were added to make the, the, uh, the streets even more beautiful. Yeah, and a point of clarification, Palma- Palmyra, uh, what present-day country would that be in? It's in, in Syria, in, in Syrian steppe. Okay, okay. Made for by the activities of ISIS um, about uh, three or four years ago hmm. when they blew up the, uh, the central four-way arch. Perhaps not aware that it had been reconstructed uh, only 40 years before. Um, and so, you know, the columns fell very easily because they were actually made of agricultural uh, modern clay pipes, hmm. irrigation pipes. Okay. Um, did you come across, and maybe came across it a lot, um, did you come, or maybe maybe not much at all, did you come across de- deities uh, being represented at all uh, in, the, in the colonnades in your travels? No, the, what was the, the, the sort of civic improvements along the colonnades were usually statues set up to honour the main donors for the colonnade. Mm. And here you have a practice which is largely confined to Turkey, Syria and Jordan. You have this sort of bracket sticking out from the column, which is part of the column structure, uh, on which you put a, probably a bronze statue of, you know, citizen XYZ, who provided the money for this section of the colonnade, you know. Um, but that was the main artistic addition to the to the street, except that you would get occasional what we call nymphaea, which is sort of fountain arrangements, which have a water feature and provide water both to the passers-by and, you know, form part of the, uh, the water articulation system of the, of the city. Uh, so they're, they're the main additions, which you might, besides those arches, the other four-way arches and the two-way side arches, which I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, you didn't... You also had some temples would have had their main entrance on the colonnaded street, um, but they didn't particularly have any prominence compared to the rest of the, the run of the... Uh, of the colonnades. Okay. I want to go back to that question I was going to ask uh, earlier. Um, does the architectural approach to developing the, 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 the colonnaded streets change at all um, in, a, in a large way in the different uh, regions? Yeah, that's, this is where the chronology of the development of the streets becomes a bit critical because we simply don't have a record, as we do later in the story of colonnaded streets, of how the sequence of the development of the street flowed. Um, In fact, it's literary sources which give us the first clues as to when the colonnades originate. Um, I mentioned Antioch, and that was a critical uh, factor because um, it's the colonnade street of Antioch and its origins is mentioned uh, by the by historians, uh, particularly by the, the Jewish historian Josephus, um, who, who attributes the funding and perhaps the idea for the colonnade uh, to, uh, to Herod the Great. Uh, he, he, it sounds funny that somebody who was 
who was ruling in modern-day Palestine, would go send money all the way to Antioch to, to fund a colonnaded street. But the need was particularly urgent in Antioch because of that factor of uh, the rainfall problems. And also, by the way, I didn't mention it earlier, but uh, the problem of earthquakes, which is quite a strong factor in determining whether colonnade streets are, are going to be made a priority. Um, so that is the first record we have of the continuous colonnaded streets. Again, it's for a, a length of street, which is almost comparable to the one in Upper Mayor, uh, of almost two, two kilometres. So it's a huge project. But in it's clear in Ad, Antioch that it happened in slow stages as the idea developed and as money became available. So it started off, we think, with paving the street, then colonnading one side, mm. then saying, well, that's a good idea because it stopped this problem, and then continuing the process on both sides as the street went, went north. So that gives us a very good idea of the staging. The only problem is that we don't have access to the street itself nowadays because the city is a busy Turkish provincial capital mm. and that street is still the main street of the modern city, which is a problem in developing our picture of a lot of these colonnaded axes, except for the ones which are now deserted cities like Upper Mayor. Okay. Um, you continue to do a lot of uh, work and various projects in this area. Um, if someone wants to read up more on your, your various projects, Ross, where can they go? Uh, well, my, I've got a website which I set up after the conflict began in Syria. In 2013, I set up a website to, to be a visual companion to Monuments of Syria, which was by then in its third edition. Um, but of course, the impact of the book can only come if you've got a visual picture of, uh, of the places you're talking about. So I decided to set up a website which follows the structure of the book and gives you a visual impression of the places and buildings being mentioned. So that's a pretty comprehensive uh, rundown okay. on, on what I've been doing. Um, but I've also written city histories of both Upper Mayor and, sorry, of, um, of uh, Damascus and Antioch, sorry, Damascus and Aleppo um, mm-hmm. to, to give you, a, to zero in on the, on the development of those two cities, which of course covers quite a lot of the story of their colonnaded axes. And then there's the Oxford University Press, Press publication, my thesis, and the, as a book on colonnaded, the development of the colonnaded streets in the Roman provinces. Okay, what are the your, what are the websites if listeners want to go and uh, read up more, well, Ross? Google Monuments of Syria. That usually works. Uh, if you add my name, you probably might sort out some of the trash that comes up with that, but. Um, uh, Monuments of Syria um, in, in inverted commas should, should get it for you. Okay. You have a lot of knowledge on this topic and various other ones, Ross. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Andrew. I've enjoyed the, the chat. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Burns wrote as examples, Monuments of Syria and Origins of the Colonnaded Streets in the Cities of the Roman East, I'll drop links to both these books and I'll also drop a link to the website that Dr. Burns was referencing at the end of the episode in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. 
Ross and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.